0: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words. Uh, we thank you that your word has been preserved uh, for us in the scriptures and speaks to us even now through the work of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that your spirit would indeed do that work in our hearts and minds today, that we'd hear your word and obey it for your glory's sake, we pray in your name. Amen. amen. You can be seated. Max Stiles is the CEO of Digital Solutions in the Persian Gulf. He's a church planner, or he's worked as a church planner. He's worked in missions for many years. Uh, he's also re, uh, an elder at a church in Dubai, uh, Redeemer Church in Dubai. In one of his books, he talks about uh, flying with a missionary on a short uh, missions trip to Kenya, a short-term mission trip to Kenya, and this uh, pilot's name was, was Pete. And he would fly occasionally with Pete, and Pete would let him fly. Pete would let him take the controls. And he writes in this book, he says, flying is actually not that difficult. It's landing that's the hard part. <laughs> I don't know if you agree, but we have a pilot over here. Do you think that's right? <laughs> Landing's the hard part. So he said, Pete would let me take control. And generally, I flew in the, in the, in the right direction. But occasionally, he would check the compass heading, and sometimes he would thump on the glass, of the pane of the compass, and he would state rather testedly, you're heading off course. And he said, I thought I was, you know, he was being a little picky, but he said to me this, he said, Pete said, Mac, you need to understand, two degrees off takes us to another country. <laughs> two degrees off takes us to another country, and it's the same way in the church. If we get a couple of degrees off of Jesus' vision, God's mission, God's priority for what the church is to be about, and you do that incrementally and you lose focus on the vision, guess what? Over time, it might take years, it might take a generation, you're going to have churches that really aren't New Testament churches that have lost focus. We've seen that happen, haven't we? So today I want to talk, and this is a good... Good um, time, a season of uh, life, of church life, to do this is to to recalibrate, to think about our vision and our mission as a church. Not really our vision, but what is God's vision and mission for the church? Because uh, next week we have our annual meeting. We're in a new building. We're in a transition phase. Seems like we've been in a transition phase since I've got here. (laughs) But I think we're starting to get some direction here, and the direction has to come from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. And this text, Matthew 28, gives us Jesus' mission for the church. The Great Commission. The Great Commission is what we want to talk about today. It's found in uh, verses 19 and 20. So we're going to just unpack those verses this morning. And the heart of the Great Commission is this imperative make disciples so i think if we're going to be a church that is on mission with jesus that his mission is our mission then we have to be a church that makes disciples we have to be disciples who make disciples and that's that's really the major point of this sermon today that's all that i really want to get across is we need to become a church of disciples who make disciples for Christ. Okay, That's the point. We can go home now. Nah, Not so fast. Not so fast. The Great Commission is surrounded by two supporting statements that are great truths that undergird, that surround, that frame the Great Commission, and these great truths are what give us confidence that we can actually begin to do the thing that Jesus is calling us and all of his disciples to do. So that's what I want to look at before we get into 19 and 20. The two verses that surround the Great Commission, these great truths. So the first great truth is this, that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Verse 18, the risen Jesus comes and says to his disciples, who are still kind of, some are worshiping him, some are doubting, but he makes this clear, he's risen from the dead and he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been, by His Father, given to Him. That's an astounding statement. He's saying there's no spiritual power or authority that's greater than me now. He's risen from the dead. He really is who He claimed He is. He really is what all those New Testament titles say. Son of God. Messiah. The Lord. And the Son of Man. That was Jesus' favorite title for Himself, right? He referred often to Himself throughout the Gospel as the Son of Man, and that is a title of great authority and power. Daniel chapter 7 speaks about the time when the Son of Man will come. Daniel chapter 7 says this about the Son of Man. To Him was given, listen, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus, when He came to earth, when He began His ministry, said, the kingdom of God is at hand through me. The King is coming into His kingdom. And then He lived a perfect life of obedience to His Father, In our place, because we can't live a perfect life. Then he offers his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, fulfilling the will of his Father. And he's raised again from the dead, verifying that he really is the king. And God's kingdom has arrived. And so he is a person of great authority and power. And it's been proven now, because he is the risen Lord saying this to his disciples. So that gives us confidence to pursue the great commission, this has given confidence to missionaries throughout the generations that Jesus has all authority and there's no spiritual power that can thwart the plan of Christ to make disciples of all people. Now what happened in China when the communists took over is that many people in the West were worried that the gospel would not be able to go forth in China. But what's happened there? Did the communist uh, government, were they able to prevent the gospel from going forth in China? No. It's, it's growing, the, the church is growing and has been growing remarkably through the preaching of the gospel in China. So there's no power greater than Jesus Christ. He's the king. And this mission is going to go forward till the end of the age, he says. And so that's the first great truth. And then the second great truth is that he is with us always. That's in verse 20, the very end of that. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What encourages us to go forward? What encourages us in our call? What encourages us to evangelize? What encourages us in the midst of discouragement? Is that promise? He is with us. And so we can go to Him and be refreshed and renewed by His presence and by our encouragement with one another in the name of Jesus. We can know that He's with us. So those are the great truths that surround the Great Commission. And now let's look then at these verses. First of all, the central imperative is go and uh, make disciples. Make disciples is is the key there. Make disciples is the key. What is a disciple? Let's talk about that because if we want to be disciples who make disciples, let's just remind ourselves of what a disciple is. The basic definition is a follower of Jesus Christ, but let's put up this definition here. Um, by Greg Ogden in his book called Discipleship Essentials. He says this, A disciple is someone who responds in faith and obedience to the gracious call to follow Jesus Christ. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of dying to self while allowing Jesus Christ to come alive in us. So being disciples doesn't start really with us so much as it starts with Jesus' call to us. And there's two words that are life-changing, world-changing words of Jesus Christ. Follow me. Follow me. He said it to the disciples who were fishermen. They were engaged in their father's business. They were concerned about the fishing industry and their boats. And he says to them, he comes to them with great, must have been great power, and love and compassion follow me and they left everything to follow him he said it to Matthew remember Matthew the tax collector at his booth doing his duty follow me so that's where it starts and that's where it starts for all of us in this room and I wonder if you can remember a time in your life when you heard Jesus say to you follow me maybe a season can you remember that time and Jesus continually, I think, says that because it is a lifelong process. Follow me. He doesn't tell us where he's taking us. He just says, come along, and it's going to be an adventure. And that's what the disciples had the adventure of a life. And they did something that had great eternal significance. So that's a disciple. Now, in Jesus' day, there were rabbis and disciples in the first century and the, the, the disciples uh, were taught by their rabbi, but, but not kind of like this so much as where you meet together in kind of a lecture hall or, or, or a church and you're lectured for a week or for an hour or so throughout the week and then you go on your daily business. No, the disciples of rabbis followed around their rabbi throughout the day. It was a personal relationship. The information was conveyed, and it was conveyed again, and again, and again. And they saw in Jesus, these disciples saw the the truth of what he was teaching embodied in his very life. And they wanted to imitate his life because of that. And, and, And there was a transformation that happened through that personal relationship. It wasn't just information. It was a personal connection. I want you to think about teachers who have most influenced you. Can you think of a teacher in your life that really had a profound influence in your life anybody got a mental image or a name probably there was some sort of personal connection that they made with you maybe it was just a remark that in 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 the class or after class but but maybe there was something even deeper i had a ninth grade american history teacher named mr lilly and he taught american history with great passion and um I still remember some of the assignments that he gave us and some of the texts that he read out loud and and, and how that kind of started to stir my interest in history. But Mr. Lilly was also a trumpet player, and I was a trumpet player. And he knew that I was a trumpet player, and he said to me, he had a jazz band, and he said, why don't you stay after class and I'll give you some lessons? So he started to take me under his wing. And then he let me go to some of his uh, jazz concerts, Dixieland Jazz. And I traveled around with him for a while. And then one time, uh, I was at my grandparents' small church, a small Baptist church, Star Baptist Church, and uh, he was there. I didn't really know that he was connected to that church, but he was there for some occasion, and he got up and he spoke from the scriptures. And it was evident that he knew the scriptures and that he loved Jesus Christ. So here was my teacher, he was a cultured kind of guy, a smart guy, and somebody who loved the scripture, and for a season of my life, I wanted to be like Mr. Lilly, Because I had this personal connection. And that made a big difference. And I think some of the seeds were planted in my life from his influence that have shaped me even today. Now that's just a drop in the bucket of what the disciple-student relationship was like in the first century. And the relationship that the disciples had with Jesus. They were influenced by him. They were taught by him. They wanted to internalize his teaching and imitate his life. So I think the first question for us is, in order to be a disciple-making church, are we, all of us, committed to being a disciple, to responding to Jesus' call, follow me. Because our culture, the American culture, has a discipleship program. Do you know that? It's a really effective discipleship program. It comes through the media. It comes through a lot of other institutions. You know what the core curriculum is of the American culture discipleship program? I, I, I read it today. I came across this list. Three P's. Power, pleasure, possessions. American culture is teaching us to to build our life on power, pleasure, and possessions. And if you have those things, you've got what life is all about. Right? And Jesus said, no, not right. Because Jesus said, if you build your life on anything other than me, you're building your life on sand. And when the storm comes, when God's judgment comes, it's going to go going to go away when the storms of life come but mainly he's talking about the judgment of god but even then you begin to see how empty building your life on those things are now you can use your power you can use your abilities of course you can use your possessions for jesus christ but if you're building your life on anything other than him according to jesus it's all going to wash away because none of it lasts what lasts is our relationship with god and our relationship with other people God and other people. That's what we are called to invest in. So Jesus says, follow me, build your life on me, be my disciple. And then he calls us to be disciple, uh, disciple makers. So let's look at that uh, passage of Scripture. Here he gives us kind of the, the program for making disciples. It involves three things. Going, baptizing, and Teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, again, this is to the original disciples, but it's also for their disciples and the disciples that come after them. It's for all generation of disciples until Jesus comes back again because he says here, I'm with you always till the end of the age. The end of the age hasn't happened. This is Jesus' discipleship program, his mission program. So it involves going. You have to be intentional about this, he says. You can't stay in Jerusalem. You've got to go out. And you got to look around you, engage with people as you're going. That's another way of translating this. As you go, make disciples. Look for the people around you who you can encourage. Look for the people around you that you can evangelize and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Making disciples doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by just having people come to church. It happens as we engage with one another with the intention of making disciples for Christ and growing together in our discipleship. We're in this together. So what if we went about our days with this thought in mind? I was thinking about that this week and I started to try to do this this week. What if I went throughout my day um, with this thought in mind? Lord, wherever I am, whoever I'm with, open my eyes to who might become your disciple or who can I help grow in discipleship? Whoever I'm with, wherever i'm at if that's on our heart if that's on our mind i think we'll begin to see more opportunities if we think of ourselves as this is my call to be a disciple maker because i'm a disciple of jesus right um here's a kind of a silly example of this idea that when you have it before you you start to see opportunities after i graduated from college i spent about six months believe it or not working in a factory in a refrigeration factory true manufacturing i don't know if some of you've heard of those products so for six months between college and grad school that's what i spent my time doing i was at the end of the line of the production line my job was to clean up the finished product now have you ever seen the i lucy i love lucy uh episode where she's at the end of the line with the chocolate and the conveyor belts going too fast that was me for a couple of weeks and, and, and I remember still looking down my first couple of days, looking down the line and seeing all these refrigerators stacked up there because I wasn't moving fast enough, and the supervisor coming to me said, we got to talk, we got to do something. So I kicked it in gear, and I figured it out, and, and, um, and that's what I did. Guess what? During that six months, everywhere I went, guess what I saw? True manufactured refrigerators. Everywhere I went. The restaurant, the convenience store, the gas station. It was there all the time. Why? Because... It was in front of me, you know, eight days a week, sometimes on Saturdays. <laughs> these refrigerators were there, so I had an eye for them. What's the simple point? Is the things that we set our minds on, we'll begin to see opportunities. And if we set our mind to this truth, that I am, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, my goal, my mission is to make disciples wherever I am. As you're going, make disciples. Be intentional about it. So going, baptizing, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that today, Uh, ordained people are called to baptize but baptism is an initiation into the church so i think all disciples have a role of helping to enfold and initiate new people who've come to faith in christ into the life of the church notice that jesus says baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit god is triune and as we talked about last week What are we to reflect as a congregation, the trying love of God in our life with one another? So when you initiate somebody into the life of the church, you're enfolding them into this community of love. And we all have a role to play in doing that. So going, you can say evangelism, baptism is a type of enfolding. And then there's equipping, equipping, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Isn't that a remarkable statement that Jesus is saying here? I don't want you just to teach them the information, but I want you to teach them to obey the information. Wow, what if we took Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and said, okay, this is really what He wants us to do. He wants us to be these kind of people. To love my enemy. To pray for my enemy. To not lust. To not lust. With God's help, how do I do that? How do I become the kind of person where that sort of kingdom life that Jesus has enfolded in the Sermon on the Mount becomes a, a, a reality? Not perfect, but I'm making progress and being shaped to obey the teachings of my Lord Jesus Christ because I want to be like Him because He has shown me such great love and compassion. So that's it. Evangelism going, baptism enfolding, and teaching or equipping. Let's throw up this other definition of discipling with Greg Ogden. He says, Discipling is an intentional relationship in which we walk alongside other disciples in order to encourage, equip, and challenge one another in love to grow toward maturity in Christ. This includes equipping the disciple to teach others as well, to reproduce as you invest in the life of somebody. So, again, this is something intentional. And we would walk alongside other disciples. Uh, Father Matthew Mays was at our first service today, and at the door he told me something I thought was kind of neat. He said, what's the speed of discipleship? And he said, about three miles an hour. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, that's, how, that's about this average speed that it takes to walk alongside another person. Discipleship and evangelism is about walking alongside another person to encourage, equip, and challenge them in love. <laughs> We're doing this out of love, not out of legalism. Why? So that we can all grow into maturity in Jesus Christ. So the next sermon, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about, this, this sermon today is just to kind of just recalibrate, get back on course, make this our compass heading for the church is that we're about making disciples. We're about being disciples and making disciples. We're not going to be satisfied with having a nice building and people in the pews or money in the budget. Okay, that's all great. We need all that, but that's, that's not where it stops. We're called really to engage here with what Jesus is saying, being a disciple-making church. And next, so this is kind of a 2 part I'm going to talk about um, how to implement this maybe, what this would look like in terms of our everyday life and the life of the church. Let me just uh, close with this illustration. I hope you find this sort of stirring and, and encouraging to you and just give you a sense of why this, this kind of matters. This comes from a book named um, The Disciple-Making Church by Glenn McDonald, and he writes this. He says, A few years back I had a chance to visit the biggest tree in the world. Have you ever seen this tree? It's the General Sherman, according to him, which is found in the Sokoa National Park in the Sierra Nevada uh, National Park in the mountains there. The numbers associated with this tree are staggering. It's as high as a 28-story building. Its trunk is six and a half feet wide. It's a national treasure that has to be protected, so they've put a fence around it. Nobody can touch it. The general sermon. And then McDonald continues. He says, by contrast, I can look outside my window right now and see a number of sugar maples. They are leafy green in summer and display the most beautiful reds and oranges each fall. They never become colossally self-absorbed with their own magnificence. They are much more successful than that. Why? Because they reproduce. And he says there's billions, I don't know if that's true, but he says billions of sugar maples dotting the landscape of the United States. They grow by reproduction. They grow by producing more. And the best part is, he says, I can go right now and touch a maple tree can't do that with the General sermon. How are we called to grow as a church? By reproduction. Investing our lives in other people so they can invest their lives in other people. And that may not be the quick, big, boom way of growing, but it is God's plan. It's Jesus' plan. And over the long haul, it will be fruitful for the kingdom of God. We're to reproduce the truth and the life of God that we've received into other people disciples who make other disciples it's at the heart of the great commission okay so next week we'll talk about what that might look like in the life of our church in our everyday life okay let's pray